Ferguson, they put you through the mill into injury time, almost lost the cup, and you win it. The new European champions, the treble, the dream come true for you. Oh, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Football, by the hell. Hello everyone. Welcome to the 10th episode of the podcast Football Bloody Hell. Today we have a special guest with us, Adam. Hi Adam, how are you? Hi guys, I'm uh, I'm feeling pretty good right now. How about you? I'm good too, Adam. Adam, can you tell a bit more about yourself to our listeners? So um my name's Adam, as Prashant said. I uh I suppose I am a Twitter person. Uh, I play fantasy <laughs> football. That's mostly what uh what people talk to me about and know me for i uh i write uh articles about arsenal and football in general for the planet fpl podcast as well so yeah oh that's great that's great and of course we are joined by our regular uh, member joe hi joe how have you been doing yeah i'm good thank you mate apart from the football you know it's a bit tough at the moment being a united fan but uh... <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure we'll get on to that. <laughs> <laughs> we will, we will for sure. Yeah. Uh, what a week for what a week of football this has been, hasn't it, guys? It's it's been amazing. It's um, I love festive football in general because you know it's that time of year. Christmas is coming, the lights are out in the streets, and it seems like uh, it seems to me like the football is reflecting that uh, that sort of festive mood at the moment. At least for Arsenal, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah but, okay. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm the same way. I have to echo what Adam says. It's a, sort of a special time of the year. This, and I think, obviously, in England, we're in a unique situation because, you know, we're one of the only major leagues that obviously play over Christmas. Whether that's always going to be the case, because obviously, there's talk at the moment of a winter break coming in. But yeah, I always think this time of year sort of signals the time of, you know, lots of football coming up. So if you're a football fan, you're obviously excited about it. Absolutely. I think I saw on uh, Sky, they're saying they've got something like 40 matches in the next couple of weeks or something, or in the next month or so. Wow. (laughs) It's a a packed schedule, for sure. Yeah, I think, um, you know, like I say, we're fortunate because a lot of other countries will be looking at, you know, their teams, you know, in like, for example, Germany and Spain. And I don't know where they get their football fix over Christmas. I don't even know what they do. They probably have to switch over to the Premier League. I don't know how it works. But <laughs> I, you know, I, I think there is an argument when you look from the national, you know, if you look at it through the national uh, team's eyes, you know, to have a, a winter break. But I, I think it'd be sad if we lose if we lose the football around Christmas. I think the way that they've obviously discussed doing it is obviously a period in January where we might be able to get some rest in there. And I, I think that's the way forward. I, I you know, I'm a bit of a traditionalist, and I do like the football around Christmas time. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there, Joe. To be honest, because I I agree. It's, there's the head part of me with speaking with my head, should I say? You think oh, the players probably do need a bit more rest around this period, but the heart just loves. There's nothing quite like waking up on Boxing Day and settling in in a sort of food coma for some of the fixtures. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, and, and apparently, I, I mean, I don't know much uh, much about this, but I think even you know, I, I mean, I'm going years and years back. There used to be fixtures on Christmas Day. 
Um, yeah, I heard that as well. So when that what, was, uh, what they on Christmas? I, from what I remember, it's always in Boxing Day and New Year's, oh, right? Yeah, yeah, in recent history, it's definitely in Boxing Day. I, I'll have to get the dates, but I'm pretty sure that, yeah, you know, many moons ago in England, we used to play on Christmas Day. Yeah. <laughs> well, talking about Christmas, we are recording today on Sunday and then uh, Christmas has come early for you, Adam, hasn't it? After that great 4-2 <laughs> win. Yeah, um, I mean, it's. I, I tweeted something similar. It's going to take a while to sort of fully digest that. But I mean, immediate reaction is it was just a sensational game as a fan. And I imagine as a neutral, even though we're going to be facing you in a few days time you must you guys must have loved it as well of course i loved it uh it was very good game of football even in the first half i don't know something happened to you guys after that penalty and you missed a couple of chances but in the second half it was all arsenal yeah it was um i mean i thought after 20 minutes or so we could have easily been two or three goals up abayang had a couple of great chances he wasn't quite able to uh to finish but yeah we seem to sort of lose our heads when um when the penalty got given away as was seen by the uh the altercation let's say on the touchline with a uh, Deli Ali Eric Dyer and I think it was I think it was Aaron Ramsey as well yeah yeah it was Ramsey yeah but um so yeah after that we sort of lost control of the game I thought for until the end of the first half really and Tottenham had quite a few good chances with Son uh, playing in behind sort of the right-hand side of our back three. He's, uh, he looks really dangerous, I thought. Yeah. I mean, going back to what you said about it being fantastic to watch, it, it was, you know, and I, I mean, I've always said, and it's, it's probably been something that I struggled to say until after about 2004, that, you know, Arsenal, when they play, and, you know, they're, they're involved in games like that, there's probably still no better team to watch in the Premier League. I mean, especially, I mean, I've, I've not seen too much of them under Emery, but, you know, for all the turbulent times they had under Wenger, you know, whenever Arsenal wanted to turn it on and Arsenal were in the mood, I think any neutral supporter, you'd have to say that they were one of the most entertaining teams to watch. Uh, like I say, it's, as a Man United fan, I didn't really want to utter those words until after about 2004. <laughs> it started to die down a little bit, but... Uh, yeah, and I, and I sense that a little bit now with Arsenal watching them this season. I, I can't claim to have watched a lot of them. I think I've probably seen about three or four live games. But uh, they do look like they've rediscovered some of that old magic that they had. But you'll obviously be in a better position to talk about that, Adam. Yeah, it's it's been interesting because, like you say, there was always the, the old adage with Arsenal was the neutral's favourite team just because we were always, we used to play such lovely football, but it felt like towards the end of Wenger's time in charge, that became quite stale and it was more possession for possession's sake and everything had to be perfect for us to reach our full potential. But now under Emery, it's, it's, uh, it's a completely different side almost. It's, it's hard to quite put into words the the change that I've seen really because no longer are we a team that like I was saying can only thrive in perfect conditions we seem to be quite good at coming back from losing positions as is evident by the fact I still don't think we've been ahead at half time this season I think that's yeah. that going around 
you know. So I think we can say that, in the words of Troy Deeney, you've got your cojones back a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, we chose some of those cojones today. <laughs> that, that's, that's the other thing that's obvious. I think if you look in from the outside, it might be that. I don't want to profess to know anything more than anybody else about our club because I, I really don't. But I think from an outside looking in, point of view it's the quality of football seems to have ret returned but most of all you've seemed to have found a bit of fight in your game you know your bit of spirit you know it was yeah. it was common knowledge I think that Arsenal were you know they, they were they had a soft centre didn't they and if you know if you rough mm. them up a little bit towards the end like you said if they weren't playing under perfect conditions for themselves you know I think teams knew if they could get about them you know you had yeah. a chance against them but that's almost gone as well now and that's I mean that should be the basic of any honest hard work and good spirit and obviously we're struggling for that ourselves at United at the moment but that they're the two things that have come back for me at the moment Arsenal the, the style of plays there they're playing some good attacking football I mean didn't they have like two goal of the season contenders oh wow that yeah. one of them that Aaron Ramsey goal against I think Fulham or something that yeah. was Aaron Ramsey yeah was and then there was one I think the other week or two weeks ago but I think they both made we have a highlight show over here which you've probably heard of Prashant Cole match of the day and I think they pretty much had like two team goals that were up for nomination for the for the goal of the month. And and that's just a sign, you know, a little snippet into the fact that they're back now in terms mm. of playing the best, but also they've got some something about them, which is which is good to see. Yeah, it's um it's interesting those two goals. I think the other one was the Urzil goal against Leicester. Yeah, that's at home. right. And it's quite interesting to look at those goals because they're sort of indicative of a more general change in the way Arsenal play. Like, both of those goals came, there were breaks on the counter. Even the one against Fulham was sort of a really rapid, almost swarm of our players pushing forward into the opposition half, whereas under Wenger, we were more known for what we were saying earlier, that sort of passing, possession-based game and uh, looking to work the ball in and around the box and then going for the killer blow. Whereas yeah. this, Emery just Emery appears to be setting up the side to be ruthless first over everything else. Right, and well, uh, Adam, I am I was really impressed by your today's performance because I think after that Chelsea game for a long, long time, you didn't have to play any big side till now, any strong side, you know, like top four side or something. But mm -hmm. but today when you when the Shire, when Tottenham finally showed up on the shores, then you were, guys really were really good. Like that was impressive. Like because you know even the Leicester win and the Fulham wins, yes, they were very good. But okay, being uh, being a being a United fan, I can see a you know little bit that maybe they played into your hands by opening them opening them up, and then it was quite easy for you guys to break. But today, Spurs were really good against Chelsea and Inter, and then you broke them down. It was quite good. Yeah, no, I think that was the most pleasing thing. This was always going to be obviously the bit of the North London derby at home is the game if you could pick one at the start of the season it's the game I would always choose to win 100% but form Tottenham was showing like you were saying after the Chelsea win and pulling through in the Champions League they had a real momentum about them exactly and, and so yeah I think it just speaks to the, the character of the side especially after going down I think in previous years, we might not have come back, to be honest. I mean, it's interesting you say there, Prashant, that obviously 
it's like the first time they've sort of come up against, you know, some of, some of the big sides. I mean, we can't forget they did start the season, I think, with their home to Manchester City and away yeah. to Chelsea. Obviously, you know, they've struggled in those games, but the fixtures, the fixture list has been quite good to them in the sense that they got those games out of the way early and, and had like, you know, their fans and probably everybody else had sort of zero expectation. And then they've had this little run of like, I don't know, 10 games, shall we say, probably more, where they've then been able to, um, you know, play against, well, I don't want to say lesser sides, but, you know, the teams that they should be expected to be. And then now, obviously, they've got this little run where they've got Tottenham, their derby, and then they've obviously got us on Wednesday. So they've had an opportunity to show it from those games early on the season. I mean, if that Tottenham team had done at the beginning of the season against that Arsenal team, it might have been a different result. But obviously, Arsenal have had a chance now with the way the fixtures have landed to sort of groom their game a little bit and get, you know, comfortable in the, in the way that Emery wants them to play. And, and the, the games are coming at a good time for them now, these tougher fixtures. Uh, I agree with you there completely, Joe. And talking about current fixtures and current form, what, Joe, what do you want to say about our fixture and our form right now? Well, you know, I, I've actually been unfortunate enough to go to the last two United games. I was there last Saturday for the Palace game and um, I was there on Tuesday night for the Young Boys game and it's just, it's you know, we, could, we couldn't get any more chalk and cheese at the moment about United and Arsenal. Not just, obviously, the way both teams is you know, results have gone natural form, but also just in terms of performance and the way they're approaching approaching games. United are just so slow and lacklustre and mm-hmm. you know, such a lack of tempo there. I mean, I don't, I don't know what you think, Prashant, but it's just so frustrating to watch. And, you know, it's just like, there's, there's a lot of quick players in that team, you know, especially when you look at the forward line, you know, they've got pace in there, but it's almost as if they're just, being, you know, they're playing with shackles on and, I'm not quite sure if it's a confidence thing or whether it's a tactical thing, but you know the amount of times when I watched the game yesterday, we're picking the ball up on the edge of the area, and you know we're regaining possession after it's broken down on our in our body box. But we've got no, we've got no outlet. You know what I mean? We we can't really knock it long towards Lukaku because he's just not reliable enough to protect the ball at the moment. You know his touch is god awful at times, and oh and, god, and you know even if he nails his touch, you know I don't think he's uses his attributes well enough to actually be that type of centre-forward that Mourinho needs him to be. So, but yeah, it's, it's, it's just really painful to watch at the moment. And we've had some low moments under Mourinho, you know what I mean? We've, we've hardly ever got many high moments, but I think in terms of low moments, this is, this is probably, probably about as worse as it's been. I don't know what you think. Well, I'll talk about my opinion, Joe, but I, I'll come to Adam first. Adam, as an outsider, what do you think is Currently wrong with United as a whole team and a club? Well, it's a, it's a big question. I mean, on the pitch, if we get like touching on the game yesterday, looking at the lineup, I was I was very, very confused, I'll be honest, because it's got that that lineup was piss poor. I don't know what that was. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you guys have any more like knowledge about Martial. Was he tired after the Champions League? Is Lingard Still not fully fit after his injury because leaving those two on the bench, if it was a tactical decision, away at Southampton, who have just conceded three goals to Fulham, it was I was gobsmacked to be honest. Or I suppose maybe the problem with your season as a whole is that these sort of 
bizarre lineups are becoming more and more common and less and less shocking, really. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you just say for Shan, I think for me, looking at that team, I, I, I can't say that it, it, Martial was left out because he was tired because he's hardly been a regular in the team until the last five or six games. Anyway, Mourinho has only used him in and out of the team sort of sparingly. So I don't think mm-hmm. it can be a, you know, a fitness issue with Martial. It's just like you say, a very bizarre tactical decision that we just seem to be having too much of this year. I mean, there's players in that team who, who constantly get in that team. Who I, I I just don't really understand why. I mean, you know, Nemanja Matic, who I understand is, you know, probably Mourinho on the pitch like we've discussed before. But yeah. I'm not sure he's required in all the... You know, he played against Palace at home. He played against, you know, young boys at home. And obviously he played against Southampton. Now, Southampton's away game. So, you know, you may be... You don't want to be defensive, but you might want to think a bit more defensive-minded. But home games against Palace and Young Boys, players like the Manu Matic and the role that he plays in that United team, it's just not required. And, you know, we bemoan the fact that we don't create enough at home and we're not having enough shots on goal and we're not creating enough chances. Well, you need to pack your midfield with more creative players. It's not rocket science at the end yeah. of the day. And, you know, Matic is not... He, yeah, he might get you in a couple of assists in the season because he's actually quite handy on the ball, but you're not going to get many assists when you're playing it square and backwards. So I just think um, he's just an unnecessary player a lot of the time, but it's almost as if Mourinho just cannot put a team out without him, and it's ridiculous. I think I think you sort of nailed it there when you just like you just said he was unnecessary, and that's to me what he what he sort of feels like at times because starting with Matic to me sends out a bad signal in terms of what you expect to get out of the game. Because he's a, at his best, he is a very, very good defensive midfielder. But do you want to be suggesting that you're going to set up that defensively or that you need a player like that away against Southampton, at home to Crystal Palace and at home to Young Boys? It's, it seems like a bizarre message to send out. Yeah, it, it, it's just, I don't think, it, it typifies the fact for me that Mourinho doesn't trust all the, all of his players in the squad and it's almost as if he's got to get as many players out there who, who are on, on, on his sort of wavelength. But it doesn't matter whether they're defensive type players, attacking type players, you know, it's almost as if I just need people out there that I can trust and that's, another, I think it's just another sign of the fact that he hasn't got the backing of the dressing room and, and like I say, that he doesn't trust the dressing room. Mm. But, uh, you know, I, I used to think Lukaku was a similar type of, um, you know, he was a similar type of example until, obviously, I think against Everton a few weeks ago, he was dropped because he hadn't scored since the 15th September because I do feel that Lukaku was another one who was just getting away with a lot of poor performances playing centre-forward by United, but, yeah, constantly was picked week in, week out. And, yes, there are a lack of, you know, central, you know, what you would call proper number nines at Manchester United. But there are players that would probably have done a better job than him at that time. You know, you've got Rashford who can do more than a capable job there. And, and even Martial can play as a number nine as well. So, um, you know, Yeah, and I suppose, I suppose that's the problem really with Mourinho is that he so much has his guys, like you were saying, that if he, like, I, like you, I always thought Lukaku was one of his generals on the pitch, as I think is what he used to call Terry. Um, yeah, yeah. But once you lose the confidence 
of those players and you lose the trust of those men that you rely on, you're sort of struggling for places to go, really. And yeah, and, there is and, going to, and then like you say, that they, they, they even they've got to be looking at it. I mean, Lukaku wants to be a striker, I'm sure, that's scoring 30 goals, and it's probably becoming all too apparent to him that. He's just not going to. He's not going to get the opportunity to score thirty goals in terms of chances created for him. Let alone then be clinical enough to finish them. You know, if, if he finished every chance that he got, he might scrape twenty or thirty a season. But unfortunately, Lukaku and he knows this himself. He's probably one of those strikers that sometimes needs three or four chances in the game, and we struggle mm. to create that as a team. Let alone for one individual player. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah absolutely. And uh, well, guys, if you. Taking both of your opinion into consideration, I think I agree with both of you here because Mourinho is a kind of manager who really goes for, who really backs his own players and the players who trust him back and all those things. But the lineup against uh, Southampton and the lineup against West Ham, it was so similar. And why do we need McTominay and Matich and Jones and I don't, I don't know so many defensive-minded players in that team when you know Southampton are, have been so awful recently. <laughs> yeah, Prashant, you make a great point there because it was, it was the same game, like you were saying, it was against West Ham that Tomine started at centre-back, didn't he? Yes, and yesterday also he started at centre-back and then almost the same result. It's bizarre because he's got the picture evidence of the fact that McTominay at centre-back doesn't really work. I mean, it's even, you could even sort of argue it's in a similar environment away from home against the side who are slightly struggling for four. So, yeah, it just makes it even more perplexing to me. But the thing is, I don't think uh, uh, that he has lost the dressing room because the players somehow, I, I don't know if they if he would have lost the dressing room, they would have not performed for him. But time and time, again and again, against all odds, uh, they make the comebacks. Even yesterday, from 2-0 down, they came back to 2-2-2 and the Juventus game and the Chelsea game and the Newcastle games. Like there is spark still there, but I don't know. It's it's not being lighted up enough. Should I say or something like that? I was going to ask you guys about that uh, about whether you think Mourinho has lost the dressing room because I'll just put my two cents in quickly. But it feels like the comebacks are more motivated by personal pride than yeah. any sort of will any sort of great love or affection for Mourinho. But that's just me. Yeah, and it's almost a bit like, I don't know if any of you play like football manager or something like that. It's almost as if like when you play that game and you, you sort of set up the way you want to set up and you do it every game and then you realise you keep losing all the time. So what you do is you stick it on attacking and then it works all of a sudden sort of thing. But that's not really the way you want to start games. But when you go attacking, <laughs> but that's the thing that Mourinho is so determined to win a game his way. And then he realises then when it's not working and we're going 1-2-0 down, he has to then just let the shackles go sort of thing. And, you know, who knew? You know, we start scoring goals and we start creating chances and we're winning games. But it's like I really thought there'd be a breakthrough moment after that Newcastle game because the way that second half went in that game when we were losing 2-0 at halftime, he just literally must have... The only thing that must have been said at halftime was... You know, just go out there and play. You know, just he, he set them free, and I honestly thought that that would become a bit of a blueprint. But it just happens time and time again. So it, it obviously hasn't sunk in what actually worked for them to score three goals without replay against Newcastle at Old Trafford in one half. 
a couple of months ago. And just going back to, you know, players playing Prashant rather than, you know, and, and unnecessary players. As United fans, we laughed at Manchester City in about 2010 when Manchini was manager and he used to play at home with Nigel de Jong and Gareth Barry in midfield. You know, we used to say, oh, why is he doing that at the Etihad? You know, a fantastic attacking team like he had with all that quality. Why does he need to play two older midfield players? Well, I'm afraid we're doing exactly the same now, so... It's, it's a joke. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. Like, sometimes you think uh, the team is gaining momentum with all those Juventus win and all the... But then uh, after the City loss, it's like two steps back and then two two steps ahead and then two steps back again. It's back to square one. Without... Sorry, just say, you know, without obviously... I'm not obviously getting on at Arsenal when I say this, but obviously it's almost like we, we were talking about before. We have become that sort of Arsenal side towards the end of Wenger's reign where we, we have to have perfect conditions in order for us to win the game. We, we need teams to play the way we want them to play in order to win games. And teams are just, you know, they're not going to sort of come and roll over for Man United anymore, just like they weren't for Arsenal. So. <laughs> yeah, I was, was going to say the comparisons between the sort of latter Wenger years and where Man United are at at the moment, it's, it's quite strong because if you think, I don't think teams are really that afraid to play against Man United anymore. And I don't think teams towards the end of our, uh, Wenger's uh, time in charge were at all scared of playing an Arsenal, really. And like like we've said a couple of times, you need everything to be, you need a Goldilocks condition, really, I suppose you could say. You need everything yeah. to be just right. And, and, and I think, you know, we've talked about this on podcasts before and I've written about it in articles. You know, there was a time under Ferguson at Manchester United, and I'm sure it was the same under Wenger, uh, more so probably when you, in your hybrid days, where teams were probably beat before they even got off the coach. Absolutely, yeah. And, like, they, they, come to the, they come to Old Trafford, they wouldn't be having a... You know, they come and think, or they go to a hybrid using the Arsenal example, and you think to yourself, we shut up shop today, the best we can hope for is a nil-nil, fantastic result, we take that. But nobody came to Old Trafford or to Highbury in those days with any sort of attacking intent or to win the game. You know, if they could pinch it, that was great. And every now and again, we did used to get the odd, you know, loss on our own grounds. But it was very rare. I mean, Ferguson, I think, averaged, used to average one or two defeats at Old Trafford. I mean, it was a fortress every season. And, and it's the same with Arsenal, I'm sure. I don't know their record off the top of my head, but in the early Wenger years and, and the successful years at Highbury, I, there can't have been too many teams going to Highbury and one, especially not outside of the, what was so-called top four then. So it was like teams would turn up to these stadiums and they'd be beaten. But long gone are those days, well, especially for us at the moment anyway. You know, I mean, teams come to Old Trafford now and they, they, I think they really fancy their chances of, of getting a result because I think they think if they can play um, 100% in terms of their will, their desire, their spirit, then that'll go a long way against United because that's not even going to be come close to being matched by United because that's the thing, they're not they're not playing at 100%. They think they can still rock up to games at 70-80% and, and win them and those days are gone and they need a reality check. That's yeah, true. The, the old the saying used to be, I mean, you guys coined it, uh, lads, it's Tottenham, and then for a while it felt like everyone <laughs> thought... For a while, it felt like everyone thought, lads, it's Arsenal. And I mean, are you guys worried? People are now thinking, lads, it's, it's Mourinho's Man United. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, people were saying, 
yesterday about, you know, oh, if Southampton, you know, messes up, you know, if, if they do only draw 2-2 from here, it'll still be a great point. I'm not convinced, to be honest, because I think at the end of the day, if you're 2-0 up against Man United, now I don't care who you are, you've got to fancy your chances of, of Onante because you shouldn't be too worried. Yeah, you should expect a bit of a reaction and you should expect them to have a 10, 15 minute period in a game where, the, mm. where they've come on strong, where they did yesterday. But if you can weather that, then they've not got a lot else to throw at you at the moment, which is which is obviously really worrying. So. Yeah, definitely. So guys, I think we have discussed the shortcomings of United <laughs> for a long time now. Uh, well, uh, uh, well, Adam, I would ask you this. Arsenal were brilliant today and of course they were, they are, I think, Fourth in the table right now? Uh, yes, yeah, so we just leapfrogged Spurs after today. Yeah, but still, uh, last I think last three four games you were you were on a bit of dry patch where you were just rescuing games or drawing games. Uh, there are still shortcomings for Arsenal. What do you think are the shortcomings for Emery and how he can you know improve on them? Um, I think probably the biggest problem I see at the moment is the slow start. Like we were oh. saying earlier, we still haven't. Um, we haven't been ahead at half time yet this season, I don't think. And even though today we started really, really well, like I was saying earlier, our first 15 minutes were absolutely unbelievable. It's it's worrying that we don't seem to be able to go into the half without uh, without a lead and that we almost, I suppose it's a nice problem to have, but it's still a problem that we need Emery's tactical changes in order to give us that extra impetus to go on and win the game. I think that that for me that for me is probably the biggest concern at the moment for sure. Adam, shall, we, shall, shall we just agree that because we're we're the same mate? Shall we just agree that we write the first off on Wednesday? We just play the second half. <laughs> yes, we, yes, we <laughs> also talk so anybody watching on Wednesday, it's not going to be very pretty to watch if if you guys are having slow starts and all because we're the same. It'll be like watching a League Two game first half. I would imagine <laughs> if I get going in the second half. Yeah, the first forty-five minutes, the ball's just going to sit in a centre circle, and no one's going to yeah. touch. <laughs> well, but uh, guys, what about today? Uh, Mikitarian started, and then Iwobi started, and even Ozil was missing. What do you think about that? Those three players, maybe Iwobi has been good this season, but Mickey and Ozil. Only, uh, only good in little patches or something, not consistent yeah. enough. Yeah, it's um, I've, I've, I've done quite a bit of a, one eighty, I suppose, on Iwobi because when he got his, he got a new contract uh, over the summer, I think, and I was slightly confused by that. But then I suppose you could argue oh, it's asset protection in the modern game and all that sort of stuff. But he's, I think, he's improved so much under Emery. In fact, I'd say he's probably been one of the players in which you can see the biggest difference between Wenger and Emery. He's, uh, he's much more physical now. He's much more confident. He's not afraid to try little tricks and flicks uh, on the pitch. Um, I think he's got, I tweeted a few days ago, I think he's got the most nutmegs in the Premier League this season. Oh, has he? I mean, yeah, I mean, that, I know that's that, a complete... That that. Uh, yeah, I know it's completely useless in some senses, but I think it does say something as to the sort of confidence that he's playing with and that he feels and he's being started over, I suppose you could say, Ozil, unless unless you want to get into the whole back spasm issue. But oh, he's God. Being start, 
he's been started in these big games, uh, which shows the faith that Emery has in him, for sure. I mean, can, but, um, can, I, can, I, can I just say, I think as well, you know, I didn't touch on it before when we were talking about the difference in Arsenal, but I suppose that's the other thing as well, and you'll know more than Adam. I think Emery's got in there. I'd be really impressed with the way he's challenged the egos. I think mm. he's, he's almost, I think there was a, there was a few players in there towards the end of Wenger. I mean, I don't know if you're pro-ers or against us. I mean, I think he seems to split opinion amongst football fans and, and probably even Arsenal fans. But I yeah. think there was a feeling that amongst maybe him and maybe even someone like Ramsey that they were almost undroppable sort of thing and that they, you know, that they would play and, and if they, the, the team would, would be worse off without them. But I think one of the impressive things, the other impressive thing about Emery is he's gone in there and he's not been afraid to tell us, oh, look, look, if you don't give me what I need from you, then you just won't play. And it, and, and I applaud him for that because I think too often Ozil's been allowed to sort of coast and walk through games and, you know, has been borderline on disgraceful the way he carries off and almost like humble in our team, if you know what I mean. Sometimes it really winds me up the way that we just walk through games and expect to get away with it and think, oh, it's okay, I'll be in the team next week. So, I, you know, I have to applaud him for that as well. But again, you'll probably know more about that than me. So, Yeah, I think um, the problem was, was under Wenger, like you were saying, he sort of had his, he, he, put, he picked a formation to fit the players rather than the players to fit the formation, if that makes sense. Yeah, so, I know it's. I know he what you would, mean. That's a very good point, I think. He would he would always, like you were saying, he would basically basically it seems that Emery has a tactical game plan and he's not going to suffer fools, I suppose. Like he yeah. clearly saw the performance against Chelsea and thought, Crikey, this Tottenham team, they can be intense, they can press you, they can harry your key playmaker and if you stop the key playmaker like they did with uh, Jorginho in the Chelsea game and like they could have done with Ozil uh, against us, then you stop the rest of the team. So if you try and match them for intensity, then that's mm -hmm. clearly the way to go about it. And I just don't think Ozil is an intense player. And that's not even necessarily a knock on him. It's, it's not his game. So... Yeah. It's, it's, it's a really difficult one as an Arsenal fan because I don't want to get on the the Ozil bandwagon if there is a bandwagon. <laughs> oh, there is, there is, mate. There is an anti-Ozil bandwagon. Okay, good. <laughs> good. I'm glad it's not just me being a uh, being a uh, being a bit conspiracy theorist. But yeah, it's don't worry about Adam, mate. We're 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 on the anti-Ozil United eleven at the moment. Mate. <laughs> I I love the way that Emery wants this Arsenal team to be intense. And I don't think Ozil can be that player that Emery wants. But then you've got the other issue is that what, seven months ago, we said he go his 300 grand a week on a four-year contract or whatever. And we're letting Aaron Ramsey's contracts run down. He's going to be able to negotiate with clubs in January and he'll leave in the summer on a free in all likelihood. And... It's it's a real weight around Emery's neck how he fits Ozil into his side regularly and still gets the performances he so clearly wants. And to be honest, it's one that I don't really know the answer to because I don't think he can. No. And quickly, Adam, where where are you on on 
Ramsey. I mean, it seems inevitable now he's going to go sort of thing. Do you mm. think that he was a player that Arsenal needed to keep? or? Um, I think if he wasn't going to extend his contract, he should have been sold in the summer. I think that just makes sort of business sense. Um, yeah. The fact that Ramsey started the first game against Man City, the biggest, you could argue it's probably the biggest game of Emery's Arsenal career because it's his first game against the reigning champions. Um, and he started him in a number 10 role and he was really clearly key to the game plan because he was pressing the City back line. He was making runs beyond Aubameyang. So I think in maybe in Emery's mind at the start of the season, at least he wanted to keep him. And then yeah. the, the contract talks broke down. There's rumours that uh, the club actually reneged on the offer that they had on the table for him. So it's a difficult scenario. He's, he's a player I personally like quite a lot because I'm, I'm Welsh, so I've got that Welsh link to him. He ended, <laughs> yeah. he ended our trophy drought for so uh, and effectively won us two FA Cups, I think it's pretty fair to say. So I've got quite a strong yeah. emotional attachment to him. Well, uh, what I think is, Adam, you should, you guys should offer him a contract and keep him. Otherwise, okay, this might sound very, how do you say, how do I say it, very awkward or something. But if he's free, then I would take him for United. I think I like hey, him. Trust me, that's that's a real, that's a genuine fear I have. I could because he was, he's been talking about how he wants to play abroad uh, for a while, but I'm not sure how likely that is really. But I think he'd fit in quite well at United and I think he'd fit in quite well under Mourinho weirdly because he's a he doesn't shirk work rate when he's asked to but he's also capable of those those magic moments he's he's sort of like a halfway house between Herrera and Pogba which I feel is like what Mourinho wants because he can he can put in a shift when he needs to so yeah I am definitely worried that he'll he'll uh, hop over to you guys and even today, after coming on at half time, he changed the game like he, yeah. uh, completely. He came off Mikitarian, and you said that you are saving Mikitarian's rant for the podcast. But yeah, Mickey has been yeah. poor for you guys, just like Sanchez for us. Mickey has not lit up Emirates at all. Yeah, I was going to say, can we can we both or can we all pretend that deal never happened and just erase it from our collective memory? Because <laughs> there was the talk in the aftermath. Oh, who's getting the better out of? Now it's a, now the now talk is who is getting the worst out of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who's getting the best is their agent, I would imagine. <laughs> because yeah, um, yeah. I mean I mean I don't know if you guys want to touch on Sanchez in a bit, but just to talk about Mikatarian for a second, he is a very, very frustrating player to watch. I I don't know if he was the same at United, but he can he can be good, but he's not consistently at the level that he needs to be in order to be a first team starter for Arsenal, I don't think. And he and at times he just does yeah. lots of brain dead things like his touch will just randomly go and he won't be able to control the ball for ten minutes or his passing will completely desert it's really, really bizarre because I remember watching him at Dortmund and he seems like such a technically accomplished player. Yeah. And Joe, what do you think about this Mikitarian Sanchez situation? And if you're talking about this right now, yeah, well, it's it's, it's interesting with Mikitarian because, um, you know, 
he was one of the. I'm a bit like Adam. He was so frustrating to watch, but at times as well at United, when it was going well, he was beautiful to watch because he's one of those players that when he's in full flow and he's got the ball at his feet, he sort of glides. You know what I mean? There's not a lot of those around like anymore. You know, type of people that when they when they've got the ball at their feet, they're comfortable. They sort of move around the pitch in a way that not a lot of others do, and it was beautiful to watch. But then, like Adam said, there was also games and, and periods in matches where it would disappear, and then it's anything but beautiful to watch, and it's really frustrating because he's a little bit like we were touching on with Ozil, you know, earlier. The intensity is not there in his game. You know, he can't afford to really get him dispossessed in, on the halfway line or in his own half because he, he's not got the powers of recovery and to, um, you know, recover the ball. And, you know, going on to the, the deal between them, people talking about who got the better deal and who got the worst deal, well, I think you can't underestimate how important the first, you know, four or five games are for any player at a new club, really. I think, you know, it's the, those two players in, in that deal are living proof that if you don't hit the ground running, then it's very difficult to recover recover that form at any point really because you just know you never really get your confidence levels up I mean Sanchez's first two or three games for United weren't great and he, he's just never really snapped out of that and I think I think the same applies for Mickey at Arsenal as well plus he'd already had quite a torrid time at Man United obviously in and out the side and suffered crises of confidence so I think the, the reason that that deal's gone bad for both teams is that just neither player's ever really got going in, in all honesty I don't think that's no, a very yeah. good point. I agree there. Yeah, definitely. And I think um like there was a big talk around the time that Sanchez left Arsenal. It came out afterwards that he was a major problem in the dressing room. He he's quite um isolationist. I mean you can see it on I assume if you guys follow him on social media and anyone out there follows him on Instagram, all he does is post pictures of his dogs and uh he doesn't really, not mean to be rude to him personally, but he doesn't really seem to have many friends, if that makes sense. So, yeah, I think he, I don't think he's integrated well into the Man United squad and he's come in at quite a difficult time, which uh, which obviously hasn't helped him. Yeah, uh, I'm looking around that team and I'm, I am, obviously, I mean, I, I subscribe to the club channel that you get on Sky and... You know, they sometimes show snippets of training and things like that. And he, he, like you say, Adam, he, he, he does seem even in training that he doesn't really have any allies. Like you'll often watch training at United and, you know, the same people will pair up. So you'll always see like Pogba with Lukaku or Pogba with Martial, you know, their little cliques mm. that they put within, within a squad. And you don't really see that with Sanchez. He, he, he sort of, he, he obviously integrates and speaks to people during training, but he doesn't really have a, what you would call a, a go-to person. I never see him with the same person all the time, but, you know, he's, he's the only sort of Chilean player, but there, there are a couple of South American players within the squad that, you know, you suppose I suppose he, he could get close with. But, yeah, it's interesting that you say that, Adam, because I've noticed that myself. And there was a lot of rumours when this deal first went through that there was a lot of players unhappy about the way Sanchez had just basically walked in and demanded these high wages, you know, compared to players that had proven themselves at United over the last two or three seasons. So yeah. I think I think he's become quite a, devi- a what's the word like a divisive character within the dressing mm. room. Yeah, and I think that was a that was something that emerged, like I was saying, right after he left Arsenal, like you say divisive is definitely the 
definitely the word to describe them. Yeah. So, guys, uh, moving on to the next part, uh, should we do the predicted lineups now for the teams? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Uh, yeah, so, so I'll go to Adam first. Adam, what do you think will be the lineup for Arsenal coming Wednesday? Um, I think it will partly depend on whether Ozil's back spasm is firstly actually a back spasm, <laughs> or or if it's a form spasm. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what you want to call it. Uh, so if it if it was an injury and if he's fit, um, I think he might come back into the lineup because I don't think Emery wants this. I don't think it's good to have a narrative about a player clouding what has been a really good run of form. Um, I think Monreal is likely still to be injured, so I would assume we'll stick with the back five. So I can imagine it will be Bellerin, Socrates, Mustafi, Holding and Kolasinac that seem to work pretty well, <clears throat> certainly offensively against Tottenham. We're still a little bit rickety uh, at the back with those five, but it... it um, it's, it's solid enough, I think. Uh, yeah, and then I, I personally would like to see the same team that we saw in the second half. So I quite like a midfield, holding midfield two of Xhaka and Torreira. I and think then, Xhaka is suspended. I'm not sure, though. Is he? Um, I'm not. I don't know. Actually. I think he got 50 below, so I read somewhere that he might be suspended. I'm not sure. Well, if, it, if he's not suspended, I think him and Torreira will definitely him and Torreira will definitely start in that midfield too. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, no, yeah, sorry. Uh, I think he is suspended for the next game. Okay, well, that makes it interesting. Um, I guess it would be then... Ramsey? Tere- well, yeah, that's the thing. It's, if Ozil comes back, I suspect you would have Torreira and Ramsey in a two, and then you could play Ozil just in front. And then I'd really like to see Lacazette and Aubameyang partner each other as a like a strike partnership, a more traditional strike partnership. Because yeah. I think I think we showed in that second half, and that's when we're at our most lethal going yeah. forward. Um, if it's not Ramsey in that midfield too, I could see it would be a big call to play Guendouzi, but he hasn't. Emery hasn't been afraid to show faith in Guendouzi despite his youth and inexperience at the senior level but I would be a little bit concerned that the game might just be too I guess too big for him because regardless of what we were saying about you guys not being in the best of form going away to Old Trafford is still a, it's still a big thing in his first season in senior football so I would I would hope to see Ramsey and Torreira partnering in that midfield too and then uh and now Bamiyang and Lacazette up top. What I think of this uh, lineup is uh, that's a good lineup, but again, uh, will uh, will Emery put both of his strikers uh, right from the very front? Then he wouldn't have anyone to bring off the bench. Uh, so I I might think he might play Iwobi or someone just to give them width. I'm, I'm not sure, but mm. you know, and keep Abamayang yeah. as a as a ace up his sleeves. If something goes wrong, then he can put them and they can make a difference. Yeah, I think if we if we assume or if he goes for the same sort of shape as he did against Tottenham, where he plays two wise men and one solo striker, I I'd be surprised, like you say, if he used Aubameyang out on either flank. 
-hmm. I think in that case, we would see someone like Iwobi come through, uh, come into the starting lineup, sorry, because his work rate is, is really, really impressive. And even if it is just for a half, uh, he's capable of putting in a real shift and harrying the defence. True. Joe, what do you think of this Arsenal lineup? Yeah, yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. I think that's pretty accurate. I mean, if you're struggling for a holding midfield, we've got plenty, Adam. If you want to borrow, <laughs> <laughs> you take Matic if you want. But uh, no, oh. I, I, I really like that sort of Lacazette or Bamiyang um, sort of partnership. And you'll obviously know more about this than me, Adam. But they seem to have struck up a bit of a friendship as well. They seem to be quite close. I know that I think there's they're doing quite a bit off the pitch as well. I've seen on social media and stuff. I think they're, they're quite mm. away from the game. So I think, you know, if they could strike up a partnership, you've got two deadly strikers there. It's just fine. You know, not many teams do play with two up top anymore, do they? But um, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a real option for Arsenal because they they're two sort of lethal strikers as well. I've always been the man kind of, of Aubameyang. I, I, I went over to Dortmund to watch a couple of games a couple of years ago. I mean, that's incredible experience if you ever get opportunity. But Aubameyang at Dortmund was just lethal, absolutely lethal. And I would have, I'd have taken him at Man United all day long because I, I, he was one player that I would have loved United to have signed. Even me, I, I just love Aubameyang. Even he plays for Arsenal, though, like, the class player now. He, he's, he's almost like, for, for us, he could have been the next sort of Van Nistelrooy, you know, that type of Fox yeah, strike. He's a bit more than that because he's got more pace and he's got a few tricks and he can create goals and he can score goals from different angles. But I think he's got an interesting stat where I think the large proportion of his goals actually come from inside the box. And he's, I'm not sure whether he's ever scored outside the box, to be honest, which is obviously indicative of what Van Nistelrooy was like for United. So I just think, yeah, we could have really done with that type of striker. But yeah, but yeah, I think the, the lineup, yeah, I mean, are you are you with Leno, Adam, or a, a checking goal, or do you think that ship sailed now? Or I think, yeah, I think the ship probably has sailed. I mean, it didn't really get touched on in the uh, analysis on much of uh, the Spurs game, but Leno should have saved that first goal. Really, he sort of just he did that weird thing goalkeepers sometimes do, where they just put their arms together in front of their chest as yeah. if they're trying to shield the ball down to then fall on it but he was leaning backwards so he just ended up palming it effectively into his own net yeah. uh, I, I thought that was quite poor really but even, overall even Pickford would have saved that man. <laughs> yeah that's true <laughs> yeah but um, I've been impressed with Leno and to be fair I think Czech's been okay at everything other than distributing the ball and saving penalties because he doesn't really seem to be able to do that but um I think Leno is the future, and I think now he's clearly been marked as the starting keeper in the Premier League. To swap him for Czech would be a bit of a backward step and would probably damage his confidence quite a lot, I yeah. imagine. So, yeah, I'm firmly with Leno. Yeah, yeah, he seems to be good at sort of reading the game as well and coming out. And there was a couple of occasions yesterday in the game, I noticed he sort of had a good starting position and he was able to sort of come out and, and clear the ball. And I think that's what you need in your modern day keeper as well. Yeah, it was it was a thing that always in the early days of Manuel Neuer that always made him sort of stand out as that new breed of goalkeeper with his positioning and his decision making. And obviously yeah. Leno is not near that 
peak Neuer level, but he's got some of those similar attributes, I think. Yeah, yeah. So, Joe, what's your lineup for our team then? Um, well, I don't know, man. I mean, probably Rashford at centre back, will it be? I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but square pegs around all that. But I think if it was me, I'd, I'd stick to your sort of, you know, your 4 3 3. So, I'd, I'd have obviously the hearing goal and Luke Shaw at left back. I mean, the centre back um, position at the moment is interesting because I'm not quite sure who's injured and who's not. I mean, I didn't hear much about Smalling being injured, but he must have been injured this weekend because he... He said that he was injured. Yeah, he wasn't even in the squad, let alone on the bench. So I think um, we'll have to assume that he's probably not going to recover in time. So it'll probably be Matic at the back again. I uh, I, I think he will be. I think he was rested just for that game so that he can play the Arsenal game. That's what uh, I think. Okay, so maybe look at something like, you know, Smalling at the back, maybe with Jones again, although it's never an ideal partnership. I always think to myself every time I see that partnership, I don't know why, but I keep thinking, this is it. This is Smalling and Jones. This is where the kick on, you know, two English at the back. This is, what, this is what we bought them for all the way back in 2010. But every time we play, they just never fill me with confidence. Interestingly, Marcus Rojo's back. And I think Marcus Rojo gets a lot of... I, I don't know. I don't think he's as bad as people make out. So I... I'm always tempted to play him, especially the fact he's naturally left-footed as well. So, actually, I would play Smalling and Rojo mm-hmm. with Valencia at right-back, if he's fit. If not, after, well, there's no Ashley Young because he's suspended. So, um, he got five yellow cards. So, yeah. Young, so, it'll either be Valencia or Dallo. And then, you're looking at a midfield three of, if Matic doesn't have to play centre-back, he will play. And maybe... This is the type of game where you need a Matic because of Arsenal's attacking threat if he does what he's supposed to do, so Matic. And then I would always play Fred in midfield. I think Fred's a good player, but he doesn't get enough time um, with Herrera. And then up front, I'd probably go. The three that I always would like to see would be Martial, Lukaku and Rashford. But, um, yeah. Even my lineup would be quite similar. De Gea in goal, as you said, Maybe, uh, I don't think Rowe is fit yet. Like, he just came back into training after a long, long injury. So, yeah. maybe he'll go with Shaw, Jones, Smalling and Valencia. Yeah. Because this game might be a little too big for the young Delo. He's just made his debut last match and then... Yeah. And Although, in the mid... The real player, though. I think we need to watch out. Oh, yes. We need to, yes. And in the midfield, I think... I like Fred, but again, this is a type of game that Ander Herrera really thrives upon. So, I can't imagine a midfield without Herrera and then Matic has to play and then probably Pogba. Mm. Oh, I forgot about Pogba. See, that's how poor Pogba has been. I've actually forgot to put him in. <laughs> that's how poor he is. Yeah, it's like, you, haven't been, uh, you haven't been checking your Instagram lately then, have you? <laughs> I know. I don't, I know, sorry, I haven't seen his latest haircut, mate, or how many years. <laughs> and then the front three would be for me. Rashford played really well at Southampton, so I guess he'll play and then Martial and Lukaku. Maybe Marta and Fellaini can come in later in the match if we need them. We'll need them for sure, yes. This is how depressing it is, the United fan. You know, you say those three names up front, Rashford, Lukaku, Martial. If those players were playing to their potential and playing with their ability, who wouldn't want a front three like that? That's what is so frustrating, you know what I mean? It, it's... So, Adam, what do you think about our lineup? What do you think about the United team as a whole? Um, I, think he, I think it's interesting because... Am I scared? Honestly, I think this is the first time going to Old Trafford 
I, as an Arsenal fan, would be disappointed if we didn't like score like a couple of goals because you were listing off the centre backs that could start there, and you, when you're deciding between Smalling, Jones, uh, and Rojo, it, it's not. It doesn't scream. It doesn't scream Man United to me. It's not a back line. I fear. I look at sort of Aubameyang's pace and Lacazette's good movement and his guile, and I think we can. I think we can work some spaces between any uh, a variety of those centre backs. I I I was surprised you don't think Fellaini will start. Is that more of a fitness thing? Because to me, he I I would have assumed he would be Mourinho's first name on the team sheet. I think he has played three games in a row, so he might be benched and then come on as a you know impact substitute. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we're still hoping he ever plays Adam. That's what it is. <laughs> Wishful thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I think I like the attack. I would be most scared of would be Martial, Rashford, and probably I'd probably be more worried if you had Matter in there somehow, just because yeah. I think he's. At his best, I think he's he's one of the best creators in the league, and he's really good at finding spaces in between the lines. Yeah, and that's that's an issue uh, we sometimes have, especially when we're playing a back three. Is our spacing can be a bit off. So I think Matter would be a real a real asset for you in that regard, and like you'd be able to slip balls in past Mustafi, who is still a huge concern for me. So, like, I, I would think if Martial or Rashford can isolate Mustafi one-on-one, I think that is an area where you guys would get a lot of joy. And I think that will be one of the key matchups and battles in the game, for sure. That's, I've always, that's I've, a very good point, Adam. Yeah. Do you have something? I've always, I've thought with Matter, especially in the Mourinho team at Manchester United, he's, he's always been a bit unfortunate because he's... If you look at how, how he's set up as a 4-3-3, he's not really the type of player to play in a midfield three, although he can do it and he probably would do it more effectively than a lot of our players. But if you look at him at the makeup of him as a player, he's almost not that midfield, but he's also not then he can't play as a wide forward because obviously he hasn't really got that binary. So I always think you could do with a position just in between, almost like a if you played with a natural number 10, he would be perfect at that, you know, just behind the striker sort of thing. He'd almost yeah. be brilliant at replacing like someone like David Silva at Man City. You know what I mean? If he had that role at Man City, I could see him being just as good as that. Well, not as good as David Silva, but he would definitely do a job in that sort of role. Yeah. Really play that position and that man at, at United at the moment. So mm-hmm. it's difficult for him. He's always he's almost between two positions. He almost needs to be just somewhere half halfway between a wide forward and, and the third man in midfield, if you know what I mean. Somewhere that area. Yeah, and just float, oh, yeah. Along, float along the width of the pitch and try and create things in those pockets, like you say. Mm. Yeah. So, guys, now the lineups are done. Now only one thing is left: predictions. Prediction time now. Joe, what's your prediction? Um, well, it's not it's not the eight-two days, is it? Or the they've well and truly gone. So, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I always try and predict a positive United score, but the only way. I can see a positive United score here is if Arsenal come and treat Old Trafford like they probably have done in the the last few years where they probably thought it's going to be a difficult game for them. But I think if they come with any crumb of confidence and if they come with any belief that they can win the game, I could see them 
beating us. I mean, I think the best United can hope for is maybe another two-two draw. I think there's going to be goals. You can't, you can't deny there's going to be goals. I think um, you know, I, I don't really fancy United to win this one for a first time in a long time. Because normally when Arsenal come to Old Trafford or even when we go to the Emirates, I've always fancied us because of all, of that soft centre. But like we said earlier in the pod, they haven't really got that anymore. So I I think it'll be a two-two draw. What about you, Adam? What do you think? My heart wants to be confident, but then I remember I don't think we've won at Old Trafford since two thousand and six. Yeah, yes. two thousand and six. And I remember I remember going or not going to Old Trafford, but seeing Arsenal teams go to Old Trafford in sort of the dearth of David Moyes and under Van Howe and thinking there is no way we can lose this and then we will go and lose it. So um there's so nothing yeah, here, but you think you think to yourself with this recent United team, we can go there and, and we can break that hoodoo. But it's just I think they've had that. There's too many scars there, if you know what I mean, Adam. You know what I mean. That's the only hope United have got on Wednesday that they come with that sort of again. Oh, it's Old Trafford because they've nothing to fear really when they strip it down. Yeah, I think Emery will bring a renewed vigor to that. So he's not been sort of tainted, I suppose, by the recent history of Arsenal at Man United. Yeah. And I think he will be key to impress just how important. If anything, I think this game becomes even more important in light of the victory against Tottenham. Because if we can follow this up with a decent, or even if, if we can follow this up with a win, I mean, I think that you could. it would be in the narrative that Arsenal were perhaps amongst the favourites for the top four in that sort of little battle that's going on. Yeah. So, I, I think I think we'll win. I'm going to say I think we'll win. I think both teams will score. So maybe I'll go two one to Arsenal. Yeah. Remember last time when in 2004 when Arsenal came, Arsenal won an unbeaten run of 49 games. Yeah. Now you're an unbeaten run of 19 games. <laughs> Who broke it? <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is true. That's a good that's point. That's actually probably the last time I fancied Arsenal to beat United at Old Trafford because we never knew when that run was going to come to an end, did we? And I, I didn't. I, looking at that, looking back at that team now, it was not one of our greatest teams between two thousand and four, two thousand and six. So, yeah, I think I, I think it will be another David Dea masterclass at one end and a Fellaini masterclass at another. Yeah, last minute, opening it up for the, to get the 2-2 draw. Flaney nodded. No, 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 no. For me, it's going to be, I think Arsenal will score one. And then again, we'll do some trickery and we'll make a 2-1 win or something like that. Yeah, that's, a, that's the thing. It's that I can see us going there, putting in a really dominant performance. Like you say, being maybe only one goal up in the 80th minute. And then and then Fellaini happens. That There seems to be a vortex around Fellaini where... Something you can just put him in the box and chaos will ensue. And our backline can be pretty chaotic at times. So, yeah, I could see you guys grabbing a late goal for sure. I just yeah. hope it's not a winner. I hope it's a consolation in a 10 1 thrashing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but that's not going to happen. If that happens, no. then my. <laughs> if that happens, then I think Twitter's going to break. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, so I think we have come to the end of our podcast. Uh, Adam, it was great to have you here on Football Bloody Hell podcast. No, uh, thanks very much for having me, guys. Uh, It was really, really fun. Really enjoyed it.
and uh, well to our listeners who are listening to us for the first time you can find adam on twitter as well adam your twitter handle please uh so yeah on twitter i'm at three five who spelled out as words so yeah three five yeah. two on twitter and they can find joe as well on twitter right joe yeah yeah i'm sorry fat boy slim that's f-a-t-b-o-y-s-l-i-m-8-8-6 and that's me at fat boy slim 8886 sorry and this was your host prashant tiwari you can find me on twitter at the rate fpl underscore prashant fpl underscore p-r-a-s-h-a-n-t you have been listening to football bloody hell podcast the twitter handle is hell underscore football thank you guys thank you for listening Bye-bye.